groups and uh, I know we have folks all over the church and in many different rooms and appreciate you guys joining us as we've been studying here the great doctrines of the Bible. Let's do this. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll get started tonight as you as you can only imagine uh, last week we covered the first the next event on God's prophetic calendar and there's 13, 14, 15, however many ways you want to count other events to come after that. we got to get it all in tonight. So are y'all ready to listen fast? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we'll, we'll give you just a brief overview of the timeline on the rest of it. But then I, I decided, I, I felt the Lord lead to, to just sit down in the other major event that is directly affecting us, uh, which is the judgment seat of Christ, that we're going to all stand at if you know Christ as your Savior. And so, so we'll focus in on us as the church after we're raptured. We'll get into some grave details on that again after we summarize the rest of it. So let's pray and ask God to help us. Father, we sure do love you tonight. Thank you for the privilege, Lord, to assemble together, to, to come together here as a church family, Lord, to open up your word and and just some, spend some time gleaning and pulling from it truths, Lord, to help us understand, in this case, Lord, the events of the end times. And I, I pray that you'd help us tonight. I pray for every group, group all around the church that's meeting, that you'd meet with each of them, Lord, and We'd all leave this place uh, encouraged, uh, challenged maybe, but Lord, uh, with a desire to, to walk closer with you than we've ever had. Just bless our time together now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, lesson 12 on the great doctrines of the Bible. Before we jump right into it, I will say this. Uh, I've had quite a few folks come and say, you know, I missed this one or I missed that one or this. I have here a, a folder that has one copy of every single one of the lessons, all 12 of them. So, if you know you're missing a specific one, we can get together afterwards and somebody can teach us how to use the copier up there. We can make copies for you and uh, get those copied. And, and so I, I wanted to make sure you, you have the opportunity to catch those other notes if you didn't have them. So tonight, Lesson 12, we're, we're studying eschatology. We started that last week. It literally means it comes from the, the Greek word eschatos, and it means the last, the study of the last events, the study of the last things. And, and uh and we talked about how we interpret uh, prophecy. Uh, this is very important because however you come at this, you end up in a different realm of what you believe about end times. It all matters on your interpretation of Scripture. And you know, we here at, at Crossroads Baptist and, and myself, we interpret Scripture literally. And that means it's, it, we take it on a literal basis on what it says. And we understand some of the Bible symbolic uh, and have some symbolic speech, but that, sim that symbolism does, a, does teach a literal, real truth when that happens. And, and you say, why do you take the uh, prophecy literal? Well, guess what? That's why you took the Old Testament prophecies. They were fulfilled literally. So why wouldn't the New Testament? We have a God who doesn't change. And so we talked a little bit about that last week. And there are other forms of theology out there, and many of them are with big-name folks. You probably read some after. And they subscribe to another type of theology called Reformed theology, and, and we're not here to beat anybody up. They have a different view of things. And, uh, but, uh, but what they do is they, they take the non-prophetic books and they interpret those literally, but then when it comes to prophecy, they allegorize it. And, they can, and if you allegorize something, you can make it mean whatever you want it to mean. And uh, we just believe in taking God's word literally, face value what it says, understanding there's some symbolism in it, but because of the lesson of the Old Testament, when it, we understand how prophecy was fulfilled, it was fulfilled literally, we're going, to, we're going to interpret the New Testament the same way. And so that's the approach we're coming to in everything we're doing. And if you take that approach, you're going to get to pretty much where we believe, I believe, right through this, and, and how we believe these end times are going to come out. I gave you a picture there on your sheet. Uh, 
Uh, just for kind of a reference, some people like charts and some people like me can't read, so, so that really will help you <laughs> and, and uh, uh, maybe to have that. So let's get started looking at uh, tonight, we're going to again do two, two approaches tonight. Number one, since I know this is the last class and I won't have time to go through every one of those events of the end times, uh, I'm going to give you a kind of a summary and a kind of order of events of at least the way I believe they're coming and uh, uh, are going to happen. And uh, again, some theologians differ on this might be for this or this might be for that. But I, I put it together in a way I believe and, and have been taught and have studied. Uh, so we'll do the overview of all the events to come. And then we're going to sit down for the time we have left at the end and really focus in on, like we did last week, on the next major event on God's prophetic calendar, the rapture, the great catching away of the saints, because that affects us as believers. And we'll sit down that event, the event that happens after that for us which will be the judgment seat of Christ, and we'll, we'll dig, do a deeper dive into that. So, so we already talked about last week, the rapture of the church and, and the, the great catching away, and, and we, we looked at that. That's the next event on God's prophetic calendar. It could happen any moment. It is imminent. That's a big old fancy word, and it uh, just means, hey, there's nothing, nothing that has to happen before the Lord returns in the clouds to call the church home. And so you don't need to be looking for signs for that. Hey, it could happen before I get done tonight. And Paul said it was imminent back in his day. And think about that. If it was imminent, then how more, much more emphasis, imminent is it for us? No prophecy has to be fulfilled, fulfilled yet before the Lord returns there. But once he returned, once we've been called up and the dead in Christ rose first, we saw that last week, and then, then we which remain are caught up to be, be together with the Lord in the air. We, we get that glorified body, and so shall we ever be with the Lord, the Bible tells us. And once we're there, what happens here on earth? What's the next event? Well, that, that, that's the point where the, uh, the, the Antichrist rises up. And so the church is taken away. The Antichrist rises up. And, and uh, he's a satanically empowered man. He's going to gain uh, a, bunch of, a bunch of control. And people are going to follow him. And it's just going to be crazy. He's got, a, he's got some help. He's got a, a false prophet that helps him. Heads up the religious system uh, that everybody's going to worship. And they're going to end up worshiping the Antichrist instead of Christ. And, and so he rises on the scene. And he brings about with him, uh, uh, ends up signing a peace pact with Israel. You'll find that in Daniel 9, verse 27. Now, the moment of the signing of the peace pact with Israel, with the Antichrist, is the moment the tribulation period starts. And we'll talk about tribulation period in a minute. It's a seven-year period of God's wrath pouring out here on earth. Uh, primarily for the nation of Israel, but also for anyone else that's left behind that's that's an unbeliever that um, hasn't trusted in Christ. And so, so that, that period starts off when the Antichrist signs that peace covenant, again with Israel. Comes on the scene, powerful man, a, a man probably really well spoken. Everybody follows him, thinks he's great, signs a peace pact. And I'm going to tell you, for a while there is peace. There is peace on this earth. And, uh, and that's important to understand because here's what I don't know. And I've studied this a long time. And, and most people believe, seem to believe, or assume, maybe it's the best way to say it. We just kind of assume church is gone, bam, tribulation starts. And that's not necessarily the case because we know it doesn't start till the peace pact is signed. How long be between when we're gone and he comes on the scene and sign, gains power and signs that peace pact with Israel? I wonder how long that is. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. I can't find it anywhere. But I think we just naturally assume it happens right then. And I don't think it does. So that's because we assume it happens right then. That's why so many, even people who interpret the Bible the way we do, are always looking for signs. 
well, all this has got to happen because, because for all these events to happen, for the temple to be rebuilt, for the abomination of desolation to happen, all this stuff, it's got to be in place, and that's going to take some time. And they're assuming all that's in place before we're out of here when we don't know. We don't know how long before, between when we're called out of here and that peace pact signed. I think it'll be pretty quick, relatively quick, but I don't know. I can't prove that. So, so just interesting for you to think about. That's one of the things the Bible doesn't clearly define for us, how long that period will be. But I think we always assume it's right away. So what's the tribulation then? That when that kicks on, the peace pact is signed, and, uh, and it kicks off again with the Antichrist signing that peace covenant in Daniel 9.27. And, uh, and, and so that kicks off a period of God's judgment poured out here on sinful humanity here on earth. And if you want to take your Bible and, and kind of put it in, in your mind, when you read Revelation chapter 6 through 16, that's that period. That's that seven-year period of the tribulation. A lot of the Bible is dedicated to that period of pouring out the wrath. Seven seals, seven trumpets, and, and uh, maybe one day we'll be able to go through all those things together. But, but that, that's all from Revelation 6 to Revelation 16. I also believe in, uh, that Matthew 24 describes that period as well. And so if you kind of put those two, that's that period of, uh, of, of the tribulation. During that time, by the tribulation, God's pouring out his wrath here on earth. Where are we? Well, we know we're already with the Lord, right? We, that happened last week. And, and during that time is when I believe the judgment seat of Christ will take place. That's for believers. We'll dig into that deep here in just a little bit if we have time. And then, then I believe that's somewhere in that time is when the marriage supper of lamb will occur. Again, I believe it's after the rapture, certainly before the second coming, when Jesus physically steps here on earth. And so we're in heaven. Amen. Tribulation pouring out on earth, as we saw the other week. Yeah, we're out of here before the God's wrath pours down. And, and so tribulation period is kind of divided into two, two periods, uh, three and a half years of, of relative peace. It's not completely peace, but, uh, but then something really bad happens. The abomination of desolation happens about halfway through that tribulation period. The Antichrist breaks his covenant with Israel, shows who he really is. And I'm telling you, it's, it's on then. It's called the great tribulation that lasts three and a half in persecution really comes, breaks out against all those who believe in Christ. And during that time, we'll have the battle of Gog and Magog, things you've heard about, and the, the abomination of desolation, again, for, starts that second half of what is called in Matthew 24, the Great Tribulation. So seven years of wrath poured out here on earth uh, for, for the unbelieving. And then, then right at the end of that, uh, you get to Revelation uh, chapter 19, you find uh, the, kind of the beginnings of the end battle, if you would. Uh, and that is when Jesus returns physically. In fact, let's just flip there and just read that little text just for a second. I know we're not sitting down in that portion tonight, but Revelation chapter 19. And, and so after that seven-year tribulation period, the Lord's going to return. Because I, I, I love this idea of what's happening. Revelation 19 and verse number 11. And John saw this and he, he said, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon it, was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed with a vesture, dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed, clothed in fine linen and white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that it the sharp sword that it uh, that with it he should smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron 
and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of God of the Almighty God, and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so here's the return of Jesus Christ. And, and so the first time he came in the clouds, we saw that last week, this time he's going to come, he's going to set foot on the Mount of Olives. But notice when you read that, guess who's coming with him? The armies of God. We are. So how many of you know how to ride a horse? <laughs> I guess we won't need to. He'll, he'll teach us lessons if we don't. Amen. But we're coming back with him. Isn't that encouraging? Because he promised, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Remember, he promised that we, he shall not leave us comfortless. That's why when the Holy Spirit goes, we go. Guess what? And then we're with the Lord and we'll always be with the Lord. Isn't that cool to know just for, for there? So when he comes back, we come back with him. Well, he kicks off the battle of Armageddon, and uh, Jesus returns again with the armies of heaven. That's us, and, and he defeats those nations and, uh, that were fighting under the banner of the Antichrist, and, and that continues on in Revelation 19, 11 through 21. And then the Antichrist is defeated, the false pri- prophets f- defeated, they're thrown alive into the lake of fire in Revelation 19, 20, and the judgment of the nations comes then. That's where Matthew 25 comes in. And it separates the wicked. The, the sheep and the goats are separated from one another. And uh, it's also believed by many that's when the Old Testament saints are raised from the dead. Remember, remember when we go into rapture, it's just those in Christ. Those are the church age. And then that's when the Old Testament saints uh, get raised up again. And the righteous ones enter right into the millennial kingdom uh, and that we're going to live with too. Satan is thrown into the bottomless pit for the next 1,000 years, and he's bound, amen. And, uh, and that kicks off the next event, which is the millennial kingdom. The millennial kingdom's a 1,000-year reign, or some people call it the millennial reign, and Jesus himself rules the world here on earth. Jerusalem's the capital. 1,000 years of peace, prosperity. We're with the rod of iron, uh, uh, the, the, there's going to be sacrifices again offered in the temple that gets rebuilt in Jerusalem. All that's going to happen during that thousand-year reign. And, and uh, pretty cool. Guess what? Who's going to be reigning with him? Ruling reign. Hey, we are. And so he's here. We're here. And uh, so thankful that we'll forever again be with our Lord. And that, that's a time where, you know, you read over in Ezekiel, you'll, you'll find out that, I mean, the uh, all the wild beasts and the, and the tame animals, the sheep can lay right there with the lion and just, just peace in, in the entire world, not just us and mankind. So when we're praying for peace, we're ultimately praying for that. That's coming. And guess what? We pray for that to come, peace for the world. Guess what? We're praying for us to get out of here even earlier. So that's not a bad prayer ever to pray for peace. And so uh, what happens after that, after that thousand years that Satan has his last stand, if you would, uh, the f- last battle in a thousand years. Satan is loosed from prison for a short time. He deceives the nations again. Isn't that something? Isn't that just like mankind? They just lived with Christ literally reigning for a thousand years, the most peaceful period, most prosperous period ever on earth. Satan's bound and he still gets people to follow him. Isn't that something? <laughs> He's clever, isn't he? That's why it's important, to, I think, that we spent some, a lot of time talking about him uh, and getting him, trying to get him to doubt the word of God. And, of course, we know he's, all, he's ultimately defeated. Thank God for that. This time forever. Uh, this time he's cast into the lake of fire to never appear. Jesus wins. We're victorious. Praise the Lord. And then after that is where the great white throne judgment comes from, uh, comes in. And that's all those that are already been cast into hell, the non-believers. They're brought forth from all errors of history and, and the resurrected stand with God in the final judgment 
the verdicts are read and sinful humanity is cast in the lake of fire with, with the devil and hell itself even, uh, as the Bible says. And, and then God re completely recreates the heavens and earth and um, it, it burns up with the elements of fire and, and it's recreated and, and then he wipes away all the tears. No more pain, no more death, no more sorrow. And uh, children of God spend eternity with him. And so that's the, the order, the main events of all those things to come. So, so tonight, let's, let's spend some more time doing a deeper dive on that next event that happens for us as Christians. Once we're caught up in the clouds out of here, what, what happens with us? Why, why that tribulation's hap times happening here on earth before he returns, what, what's one of the major things happening with us? And that is called the, the judgment seat of Christ. There's three primary passages I gave you on your notes there that deal with this. Romans chapter 14 and verse number 10 deals with the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 10 deals with And 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 through 15 deals with it. Many other reference this event, but that's the three primary passages. And I want to read those together as we look at it tonight. And, and just kind of we'll build off of that and put it together. What is the judgment seat of Christ? And so Romans 14, 10 says this, But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 11 gives us even a little more details. And it tells us for... For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon that foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, shall be made, uh, come shown for everybody to see is kind of the word there. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is, if any man's, any man's work abide, which he buildeth thereupon, he shall receive reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. And so this judgment seat of Christ, let's talk about what it is. Well, uh, first thing we understand is for believers. We'll see that as we go, but what it is. So we, we, it uses the word judgment in the word of God here. Uh, in our King James Version in the translation area. And it's a good word, but it's, it's a word that sometimes makes us think, oh my goodness, it's, we're going to be there and, and you know, we're going to get punished. It's kind of, you know, we think judgment, we think punishment, don't we? They seem to go like that. And it's really, a, the, the, word is, the word here is the, the word uh, bema seat. Uh, it's translated from the word bema, the, the word judgment is. And that's like a rewards chair. It's interesting if you read every other time when it's not talking about the judgment seat of Christ in the Bible and it's talking about uh, true judgment, like a judicial bench type judgment, it uses the word criterion, the Greek word for that. That's not used here. The word bema is used here. It literally means a reward chair. It's the, it's, the, it's the kind of judgment seat that the winners of, they would have understood it well in those times, the winners of the Greek games would come and they would, similar to our Olympic games if you would, and they would award the crown as being the winner by the emperor. And so it's really a reward seat when you read Judgment Seat of Christ. A reward seat is kind of the idea. So think of it that way. It's where we, we would get our rewards. Uh, and it's not, again, some things it's not. It's not judgment of our believer's sin. How many of you are thankful for that? <laughs> I 
our sins were judged on Calvary. Amen. And thank God that, that's been settled. That was settled when you became a born again child of God. Christ paid the penalty for our sins. Colossians 2, 13 says, and you being dead in sins and the uncircumcisions of your flesh, he hath quickened together, made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses. Ephesians 4.32 tells us, And be ye kind one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. How many of you are thankful you're forgiven tonight? Amen. That is taken care of. So it's not for, our, for the sins. Thank God we're not, we're not under condemnation anymore. The, the Word of God makes that clear. Believers are not subject to an appointed time of judgment for our sins. John 3.18, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Uh, John 5, 24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Jesus said, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. But look at the next part. And shall not come in to condemnation. Isn't that wonderful to think about? Uh, Romans 8, 1, my, my favorite. There is therefore no, now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk uh, not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And, and so the, the Bible makes clear, listen, our, our sins have been covered. If you've had a time or in a place where you realized you were a sinner separated from a holy God and you repented, you changed your mind, you turned and you put your trust in the fact that Jesus died for you, was buried and rose again for you, and you called upon the name of the Lord, got saved by the, the, the Lord's marvelous grace, listen, you'll never have to pay for your sins. No, that is not what the judgment seat of Christ is. We're not paying for our sins. Somebody say, thank God for that. Here's what it is, though. Here's where our works come in. Works don't save us. Works don't keep us saved, right? But I tell you what, our works after we're saved and how we use the gifts God gives us determines what's going to happen at this judgment seat. The rewards that we will get are that we won't get. And so let's look at that a little bit. So with the judgment seat of Christ is certainly not the judgment for sins, but it is a judgment of our believer's work. It said this, he said that in verse Corinthians 13, 3, 13, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. That literally means it's what quantity or quality it is, I should say. What's the quality of our works? And so our works are what's going to be judged. Uh, it, and it will designate, basically, every work is either approved or disapproved. 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So what are the works we've done, and I believe this is after we get saved, of course, because um, uh, that's who he's referring to, saved folks here, will be judged at this point. Again, not our sins, but what did we do once the Lord saved us? How did we serve him? And we'll see some more of that. So that's what it is. The opportunity to receive rewards, think about that. Is that not a gracious God? Isn't it already going to be a wonderful enough reward to be there in the first place? When we didn't do anything to earn that either, when Christ did it all for us. And now we're there and he gets, says, you know what? I got some rewards for you. If you serve me. And if you did the right motive and the right mindset and the right method, I, I got some rewards that I'm going to give you at the judgment seat. What a gracious God. Now, we understand we'll see that in here in a minute, what we're going to do with those. We're going to turn them right back and give them to him. But, but uh, what, what a God to think about. He not only saves us and gives us the opportunity to earn rewards for serving him after he saves us. So that's what it is. So, but why is it? What's the reason for the judgment seat of Christ? And, and again, it's the means by which we give an account uh, as a believer, for our service for the Lord and the way we used the spiritual gifts that God's given us. 
Did you know this? The day you got saved, and we don't have time to go into all that tonight for sure, but the day you got saved, God gave you at least one spiritual gift. Do you know everybody in this room has got a spiritual gift? I don't know if you've ever studied those, but I can I encourage you if you haven't, go read about the spiritual gifts and find out what yours is. Uh, try not to get on a tangent here, but uh, I think one of, the, one of the issues that sometimes happens with believers and we sometimes use the word burnout. I think it's a bad word, but, but we all sometimes get tired in the work, right? Most of the time I've found, at least as a pastor, I'll, I'll put my pastor hat on for a moment here. When people burned out, it was because they weren't serving using their spiritual gift. They were serving maybe with something they're good at. By the way, if you were good at that before you got saved, it's probably not your spiritual gift. Think about that. You had that before you were saved. Uh, by the way, singing is not a spiritual gift. <laughs> you, we always say, oh, they, they, they're so, uh, God, that's your gift, and things like that, and music, that, that's not in the list. Uh, hospitality, you, you go through, the, I mean, we go through the whole list, but here's, here's what I found, though. I, I will say this. People sometimes either yes people or, or everybody else says, you're really good at this. You ought to do that, but you better make sure that's your spiritual gift. Serve using your spiritual, because that's what God saved you to do. And by the way, he knows the spiritual gifts he needs for his church to make the church body complete and to function as a whole body. And he puts them all together right here. He builds his church. And you've heard pastors say that a million times. And he, does it, he makes no mistake when he does it. And if everybody uses their spiritual gift and serves using their spiritual gifts, there will be no want. Everything will be taken care of. Again, sometimes we just serve and, again, Maybe with good intentions. Hey, I just want to serve the Lord. Amen. Please do. But make sure you're finding out what your gift is and use that because God designed you to use that. That's what he gave it to you for in the first place. So off the tangent, back to where we were. All right, so reason for the judgment seat. So look at Romans 14, verse 11 there I gave you. It says, For as written as, as I live, saith Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. 1 Peter 4, verse number 10 says, As every man hath received the gift, what gift? That spiritual gift. Even so, minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You see God's command? You see what he's saying? He said, find your spiritual gift and use it in ministry is what he wants us to do. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things might be glorified through Jesus Christ to him be praise and dominion forever and ever. And so the way the believer um, has used the opportunities that God's given him and the gifts he's given him, I believe, is the, the, the why of it. It's going to be judged, and we're going to get opportunities there for, uh, to receive rewards based on our faithfulness to use the gifts that he's given us. And by the way, I think we're also, the believer also has, uh, the Lord's going to look at other opportunities he's given us. You ever notice how sometimes doors just open? And the Lord, you just know the Lord must want me to do that. And Galatians 6 and verse 10 says this, And as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially to those who are of the household of the faith. And so I think the, at, this, at this seat, this beam of seat, the Lord's going to look say, Remember the opportunity I gave you? Remember that gift I gave you to be able to do that opportunity? What'd you do with it? And if we served the best we could using... Uh, using his spiritual gift, hey, we're going to get reward for it. If we didn't, uh, it's going to burn up. We'll see that as it goes.
But thank God we're still saved as by fire. Amen. So how do we use those gifts? That's the idea. So the criterion of the judgment, look at the number three there, will be, again, I believe, the motive and the methods. The motive and the method by which the service was done for the Lord. The why is just as important as the what. Uh, again, 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 11 through 15 tells us, uh, we'll pick up at verse 13. It says, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If a man's work abide, which he has built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. But if the man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved yet as by fire. The illustration here, I believe, is of, of the believer's work. Paul's using uh, a foundation, two different types of building materials, if you would, in, in this. And, and uh, you notice one of those materials is unburnable. Or maybe we should say it this way, indestructible. Right? The other type of material is burnable or destructible. And from the figure, or the context here, here's what I believe he's saying. I believe he's teaching us the things we just do in the flesh... Even some of them might be somewhat good things. I think it's just going to burn up. But the things we do under the empowerment of the Spirit, using the gifts He's given us, we're getting rewards for. Uh, that's what I believe that's teaching you, uh, or teaching us tonight. So many things sometimes we, we do. Somebody said this one time. I love this saying. Good things can become bad things when they keep us from the best thing. Think about that for a little bit. If God has a spiritual gift that he's given each of us and he has a design for us to use that gift in his body, the local church, and we don't use that, even if we do other stuff that's maybe good, God designed us to fill this hole and gifted us to do this hole. Did we do what he asked us to do? That's why it's important for us to understand what our gifts are. Because uh, even good things can be bad things if they keep us from the best things. Just, uh, just some things to think about there a little bit. So work's done under the leadership and the control of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God. That's what it's all ultimately about, are indestructible. And I believe the work's done in our own flesh, outside of the Lord's will. Uh, even sometimes good ones for our own glory. Many times that's why we do that, right? Look at me, I do more than anybody else. Uh, it says it's going to be burned up. And so the figure of fire there tells us what sort it is, you know, Think about the, the refining process. I know you've all heard that taught and, and preached that the fire heats up, what happens, the, whatever the material is, uh, especially around gold, the, the dross, the, the bad stuff, the impurities burn off, and, and what is left is just pure, pure, pure. And so that's kind of the idea of what he's teaching here that's going to happen here, this judgment. He'll know the purity, the motive, the reason, the method, everything we did. And, and uh, did we do it in our own flesh? Did we do it in the spirit? Did we do it to say, look at me, or did we do it for the glory of God? Uh, and, that, and when we did it in the, in the Spirit, under the Spirit's leadership, and we did it for the glory of God, we get a reward. Isn't that something? If we don't, it's going to burn up. But praise God, we're still there. And, uh, and at least that's what I believe it's teaching. So go on. Look at number four there. The judgment also is the means by which we receive that just reward for our labors for the Lord. 1 Corinthians 3.8 says this. Now, he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. 1 Corinthians 3.14, if any man's work abide, uh, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Colossians 3.24, knowing, uh, knowing that of the Lord, ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, uh, for ye serve the Lord Christ. 
So don't have time to break them all down in great details, but what's, what's some of the crowns we're going to get? Well, uh, in my studies, I found five in the, in the Word of God, five potential crowns that we could receive here at this, and I believe this Bema seat's where we get them. Uh, and the first one is called the incorruptible crown, and you find that in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 25, and that's given to believers who, who discipline themselves to serve the Lord according to His will instead of letting the flesh direct them. That's the one we were just talking about primarily, the incorruptible crown. Uh, wouldn't that be something to be in front of the Lord? Not only just, just to be there, that's, praise God, that's already settled. But just think about being there, then he's handing us the reward. I, it's hard to even fathom that. Then there's also the crown of rejoicing that's given those who are soul winners, those who win souls to Christ. It's mentioned multiple times throughout the Bible. I gave you the references there, 1 Thessalonians 1, 5 through 7, and, and then 2, 1 through 13, and 2, 19, and 1 Thessalonians, and, and so see lots of references to that. A uh, crown of righteousness to be given to believers who love and live for Christ's coming. And, and that's why we should be looking for it. Amen. Uh, looking for him to come in the clouds. Not for the signs, but for the Savior. The crown of life to be given to believers who endure testings and trials and sufferings for the Lord. Anybody ever been through some of those? Huh. Well, some of us have been through it, but it wasn't for the Lord, right? Some of us because of our own uh, things we did to ourselves, but but sometimes, I'm telling you what, I'll just tell you that you serve the Lord long enough, you're going to go through trials and testings and sufferings for serving for him. There's a special crown for that, he says. Uh, and thank God for that. So remember that when you're going through it. Hey, I, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful to have the opportunity to suffer for my Lord's sake when, that, when I have to. And then finally, the crown of glory. And I believe that's specifically for pastors who, who faithfully and unselfishly feed the flock, which God's given them. And, and so forth. So some of the five crowns that you find mentioned specifically in Scripture that I believe that that Bema seat will be there, uh, uh, that will be pleasant there. So what else about this judgment when we talk about the why? This judgment determines the believer's future position also, I believe, in glory with Christ. There's some verses that seem to allude to that. Look at Luke 19 and verse 17 there. It says, And he saith unto him, Will, uh, will thou good and serve, or well done thou good and serve, because thou hast been faithful in very little that has authority over ten cities. And he saith likewise to him, Be thou also over five cities. So there seems to be, when the Lord says, uh, uh, Thou good servant, seems to be, hey, some have done a little better than others in that. Some get ten cities, some get five. Seems to be some, some levels. You know, we, we know the foot of the cross is level, amen, we're thankful for that. But we're talking about our rewards and, and so forth. There's going to be seems like there's future position tied to how we do, and it's the judgment determines some of that, I believe. 2 Timothy 2, 12 says, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him, but if we deny him, we shall also deny us. And um, This judgment also, why is it happening in the first place? It's for the glorification of Jesus Christ, not for the glorification of believers. Even though we get to be a part of it, isn't that wonderful? It's really ultimately for him. Uh, it's, again, the purpose for believers who are saved and, and, and how they served and uh, and why do we? Why were we saved in the first place to serve Him, to glorify Him? Romans fifteen six, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even uh, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. First Corinthians six twenty, for you're bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. First Corinthians ten thirty four, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do it all for, to the glory of God. And so that's our purpose in the first place, and. What are we going to do with those crowns or those rewards that we receive? Right away. I think you see the example in Revelation chapter 4. We're giving them right back to him.
Because what's the purpose of it in the first place? For his glory, not ours. And so we receive this because of how we served him for his glory. But we're going to turn it around, hand them right back to him, and glorify him with them. And, and as we do that, look at Revelation 4 and verse 10. The four and twenty elders fell down before him that sat upon the throne and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne. Look what they're doing. They're giving them right back to him. And singing, thou art saying, thou art worthy. I don't know if they're singing or saying, but it says saying there. We'll go with that. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. We're just setting them right back at Jesus' feet. He's the one that was worthy anyway. So the what and the why of it, we see that. Uh, so the judgment seat of Christ. Again, are we getting judged for our sins? Nope. Judged for the things we did. Uh, and how we served him. I believe ultimately in using the gift, spiritual gift or gifts in some cases that he gave us and the motive and the means and the, the method that we implored to serve him and uh, to, to bring honor and glory uh, unto him. So when's this happen? When's the judgment seat happen? Again, I can't tell you exactly when, but we, I believe firmly it's after the rapture, obviously. Uh, we're out of here and we're in heaven. But it's before the second coming. It's often referred to as that day as you read through scripture. That day, and 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5 says this, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who will both bring to light the hidden things, reveal what sword it is, remember that, and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. Second Timothy 4, 8, Henceforth there is laid for me, Paul said, a crown, a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and I believe this is the day he's talking about, the judgment seat of Christ. Not only to me, but to, unto all those that love his appearing. Remember the crown of righteousness given to believers who love and live for the Christ's return? That seems to tie right there, doesn't it? Uh, those that love, unto all them that love his appearing. In Revelation 22, verse 12, And behold, I come quickly, my reward is with thee, to give to every man according as his work shall be. So the, the win of it, uh, I believe it happens Sometime, obviously after the rapture, but it happens before we return here to earth as well. Uh, I believe it's happening during that tribulation period while we're here. Because when we come back with him, we're, we're, I mean, we're, we're, we're decked out as well when those white horses coming back. So where does it happen? Uh, again, I believe it's in heaven uh, after we're called up. After we looked at last week, 1 Thessalonians 4, 17. Then we, we were to live and remain, shall be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. And and then finally there, the who, the who, and that's believers. It's those that are in Christ, born again believers from the church age are the ones who are going to be at the judgment seat of Christ. Again, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ. Very important words there, in Christ. You, you get in Christ the day you get saved, the day you repent and trust Jesus as your Savior, you become part of you're, you're positionally now in Christ, and, and that's that, that age, I believe, from the rapture until, uh, until, I'm sorry, from the day of Pentecost until the rapture. Those that trust Christ during that period, the church age, are the ones that are going to be here at the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive things done in his body according to what he has done, whether it be good or bad, as we've seen. Who's the one doing the judging? It's the faithful one, the only one that can, right? The Lord Jesus Christ himself. 
Uh, he's the one doing it. John 5, 22, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. Romans 14, 10, But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at night thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It's him that's going to do it. Again, as we saw earlier, 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that we may receive the things done in their body according to he has done, whether it be good or bad. And so, so there's the over and over, the who, the what, and the, as we did th through so many of these things, trying to describe those things, this judgment seat of Christ. After we're called up somewhere, I think pretty quickly, after we're called up together in the clouds, well, we're going to appear right before him. We're going to give an account for the works we've done for him on his behalf. We get to hear in just one second and, uh, and, and glorify him with it. Now, one thing that folks do have uh, in confused at times is the judgment seat of Christ versus the great white throne judgment. Make sure you don't confuse those two. Judgment seat of Christ is for believers. That's where our works, not our sin, is judged, right? We just covered all that. After all this stuff happens, if you look back on that timeline we gave you, after the, the tribulation period and after the millennial reign and when he raised the, raises all the unbelieving dead up, they come before the great white throne judgment. And the great white throne judgment is a judgment for their sin. Why? Because their sins weren't paid for. And it's, it's there where the unbelievers from all ages are cast into the lake of fire. So make sure you don't confuse the two while there's some similarities. And I gave you a little chart there. On the similarities, uh, the Bema judgment or the judgment seat of Christ. Remember when you see Bema, that's the judgment seat of Christ. The reward chair is kind of the idea of it. Versus the GWT, I wrote uh, the great white throne judgment. Now, the similarity is ju the judge is Christ in both cases. Uh, but the differences are the great white thrones after the rapture. The great white throne judgment, I'm sorry, the, the judgment seat of Christ is after the rapture. The great white thrones after the millennial reign. Uh, the Bema seat takes place in heaven. The, I believe the great white throne probably does as well, best we can tell there. Uh, uh, the, the subjects for the Bema seat, for the judgment seat of Christ, are those who are in Christ, the saved during the church age. And then the subjects for the great white throne are those who are the unsaved dead from all the ages. The results, we either just receive rewards that we cast back to Jesus' feet for the, for the judgment seat of Christ. Or we lose those rewards, they burn up, but we're still saved, thank God. The results of the great white throne will be different degrees of punishment in the lake of fire. And I gave you some verses to look through, through that, uh, to look those things up. So, so I don't know about you, I, I, I've heard good preaching on both sides of this one. I've heard some that leave me scared to death about going before the judgment seat of Christ. And maybe we should be, because if we all got really honest... We have all not put to use the spiritual gifts, gift or gifts that he's given us uh, probably as fully as we should, all right? So that's a scary thing in that sense. But don't be, go in front of, don't go say, I, I, fear, I fear the rapture because I'm going to stand before the Lord. And you're going to stand before the Lord, yes. And some of our works are going to probably burn up. And some of us hopefully are going to get some crowns for some of the things we've done with the right motive and right method and all that. But ultimately that's going back to him. But we're still standing before the Lord, amen, and our sins are not being judged. That took place on Calvary, and we're thankful for that. Uh, so, so, so some of those differences there. All right, we're going to turn the live stream off. I think we've got a couple questions, and, uh, and we'll do our best to answer some of those. And, and uh, they won't be able to hear your question. That's why I was make, having you wait, because we're on live stream right now. And, uh, 
Let's do this. We'll pray as we're getting that, uh, as he's getting that done. Lord, we sure do thank you for uh, the word of God. Lord, we thank you for the picture of the events to come. And Lord, I know it would take it would take so much time to study through the very details of each of those things. But Lord, thank you that your word does reveal those to us. Thank you that we can go and and, and learn everything that you wanted us to know. Lord, I, I pray that we would avoid fanaticism. I pray that we just pull. Everything we do, we, we pull from the Word of God, exegete from it. Lord, not, not impose on it, but pull from it. And we'd always use it as our authority and get our beliefs from it. And Lord, we're thankful, though, for because of Jesus, Lord. Uh, even, even these events, Lord, even when we stand before you and our works are judged, Lord, we're, we're thankful that, Lord, we're still saved, yet it's by fire. And uh, that's because of Christ. And we, we look forward to that day where we get to meet you face to face. Uh, even so. Come, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Yes, ma'am. You had a question, I believe. And